0: Hey everyone, this is Allison Lee, and you are listening to CraftCast. And on today's show, I'll be talking with author and baker, Julia Usher, as well as I have lots of news to share. So let's get started. Show number
1: 163. Starting the day again, oh yeah. Letting the sun shine in, uh-oh. I'm gonna dig within myself, uh uh-oh. Life may be never what you think But I think I'll just go with it And create something new Just get yourself right into your chair Come on, listen, you can learn To create something new It starts inside you
0: well, hello, hello, hello. It's been a long time since I've chatted here across the audio airwaves, and I'm excited to be back. Uh, there was some problems with my equipment. You know how equipment goes. It works one day and the next day, not so much. So I had to take some downtime to redo the recording studio, but I hope you noticed a, a difference, a nice audio difference, especially if you're listening in your uh, earphones right now. Uh, And I apologize if today's interview still has, uh, I did that when it was still the old equipment. So trying to fix it so it sounds great. But just in case, just know going forward. All new and improved CraftCast Studio. So I'm excited to get back here and start chit-chatting with everyone. Uh, And if you haven't checked out some of the online classes, I've been spending a lot of time in the virtual online class scenario. Oh, there's a great lineup actually starting October 5th. A uh, bunch of earrings that Donna Pinoyer is going to show us how to make in metal clay. Uh, there, there's, there's so much great stuff. You have to go over to www.craftcast.com and look at all the live classes. I am so excited. <laughs> and this is the honest truth. I put these classes together because I want to go. I want to go to a class like that. So check it out. Lots of recordings. Make sure you sign up as well for... Uh, uh, there's a newsletter, but it's really a video newsletter. Uh, that I send out about every two weeks so and I always have a little coupon treat in there for saving money on classes and recordings. so check that out but what else do I want to tell you I have a very funny story uh you know how I am with that kind of thing and I don't know about all of you but I'm a big fan of O Magazine love Oprah love O Magazine all of it and I had written in I mean, and who doesn't want to be in O Magazine I'm going to raise both my hands would love to so a few weeks, a few weeks, a bunch of months ago, uh, I think I it, I must have seen it on one of Oprah's magazine uh, newsletters where they're always looking for, or they were looking for uh, people who want to come in and model in their fashion section. You know the the everyday readers, not the supermodels. And I must have applied to that. It was long ago that I don't remember. Anyway, long story short, last week I get a Uh, email from a lovely editor up there who had looked at all of my pictures that I sent in and said would you like to come in for what's called a go see which means you come in and they look at you to see if you're right for their for their article now this article was about your biggest fashion problems because of whatever problem you have with your with your body and uh, so uh, the editor said bring in your worst undergarment (laughs) and top bring in an outfit you would never go out in because I said you know I'm a small person but with a rather large top so all you women out there who are hearing me right now you know how it is to try and buy like a dress because you either have to fit one area or the other but not both are going to fit into that same size whatever dress so I have a much larger from the waist up than I do from the waist down you know at least like four size differences <laughs> so I said, that's my biggest problem. All right, so off I go. And I'm so excited to go into the Oprah uh, building and the Oprah offices. And, oh, it was exciting. So there I am. And I I meet this lovely woman editor. And we get to chit-chatting. I tell her all about CraftCast. And so then we go into where, which I'm familiar with from the work I used to do, where all the samples are kept, you know, the big room. And she said, okay, put on your worst outfit. I'm like, okay. So I put on the bra that is not a good fit, just saying, and you know how nasty that can be. And the shirt that sort of doesn't fit right because it's a little too tight in the place under the arm and uh, it's nasty and I would never go out in it, I'm just saying. And she starts saying, oh, that's great. <laughs> and starts taking pictures. And I'm posing and turning and I'm thinking, you know, fine and dandy, you know, then they do the redo of here's what you should be wearing. Well, it was going quite well. And she ran out as I was changing clothes and putting on more nasty outfits and came back in and said, Well, my creative director would really like to meet you. He saw the pictures, he'd like to talk to you. So I'm thinking, Well, it must be just the creative director from her floor. It can't be Drum O'Priese, the oh, creative director's Mr. Adam Glassman. I can't be, right? Oh, but in walked Adam. And there I was looking about as bad as I could. And I immediately sort of covered up my breast area and trying to shake his hands with just one little, you know, hand sticking out so I didn't have to remove (laughs) my arms across what was very nasty looking. And I started laughing. I just couldn't believe I'm meeting him under these circumstances. And he said, oh, just put your arms down. And there he was staring at my breast telling me, you got to burn that bra. (laughs) This is all wrong. And I just was laughing, enjoying the moment, but couldn't believe what was happening to me at that second. Anyway, I had a a lovely next half hour with him and also a wonderful editor up there who put me in a variety of different clothes and we found some, some things that made me look darn good is all I'm saying. So keep your fingers crossed. I'll let you all know if I'm going to be appearing in the uh, O Magazine magazine, how much fun would that be? That was such a fun afternoon, completed by going to meet my son afterwards for hearing all of his exciting news. So don't you love that? I love good times that way. Uh, I love New York City, too. You know, what can I say? I don't reside right there in the city anymore, but my heart still stays in there. So fun, fun, fun. (sighs) I hope you're laughing. It was really funny and embarrassing, (laughs) so. All right, so let's get to the book I wanted to talk about today. You know what happens in the fall for me? I always get the feeling of back to school. I can't help it. I want new school supplies. And I don't know how many of you out there listening, if you had home ec, uh, in your school environment, I was not at the time very good in the home ec room. I was not a good sewer, but I was, very, I was a very eager learner and, uh, and I got better. Years and years later, but I got this book that just brought that all back to me. It's sort of perfect for fall. And it's called The Liberty Book of Home Sewing. From remember Liberty Prince, Liberty of London, those wonderful prints. You know, I grew up in Connecticut. We lived for those little flowered prints. Anyway, this book it's just one of those feel-good kind with some good ideas, and I love I'm looking through it right now. It actually uses all those fun little materials, and it's making book covers and pillows, and I always like to sew things better than clothes. Again, it's back to the fit problem that Adam so pointed out to me in the Oprah Halls, <laughs> and I could never sew to make that fit problem work, but that's another subject. Uh, but this book is just it feels good. It's one of those grab a cup of tea, sit down. It even has a, your, your um, computer case covers to make. Uh, and I love the pillows. That's what I always like to see, some pillows. Beautiful tote bags, has a cover. Anyway, if you're into sewing and you remember all the Liberty of London goodies, you're going to enjoy it, uh, the Liberty Book of Home Sewing. You can find the link to that uh, over at craftcast.com. So you can just click through and bring it right to amazon.com. Okay. So who am I talking to today? Uh, I talked to, uh, Julia Usher, but I got her book a while back and I don't know about all of you, but I do love my pastry, but I happen to love Americana pastry. I like a good cupcake. I'm a fan of all those cupcake shows, love them. Uh, and I really love them, especially the one now that they're doing with the gourmet cupcakes. I mean, they're just crazy, and they're beautifully decorated. It's the decorating also that gets to me. Uh, but there's now, I, you know, you wonder what's going to be next, because there's, you know, cupcake stores and whatever, and cookies, I'm just telling you, cookies is what's coming up next. Cookies decorated with 3D, like really elaborate cookies. And Julia Asher was the woman to talk to about this. Her first book, Cookie Swap, is all about that concept, which we'll you'll hear us talk about. Uh, and then she has a new book coming out this fall called Ultimate Cookies. I know there's going to be cookie shows in my future. I can just tell. Very exciting. So uh, I hope you're going to enjoy that. And then, um, but before uh, you hear what I had to say with Ms. Usher, I have a piece of music for you by Adrena Thorpe called Fly, Fly, Fly. Love that. So enjoy that and come on back and I'll be chit-chatting with Ms. Julia Usher. of course, I'm always excited when I talk to my next guest. And today, um, I'm very excited because we're talking about one of my favorite subjects, uh, sugary things. So today, I'm talking to Julia Usher, who's the author of Cookie Swap, and also coming in November, a new book called Ultimate Cookies. Julia, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for
2: having me.
0: I love the idea of ultimate cookies. I mean, I am a cupcake and a cookie cookie fan because its I look at it as a, a little bite of heaven.
2: Exactly. <laughs>
0: Now, tell us, when did you start making cookies? Because most people start their passion at a young age.
2: I, I did, in fact, and I started... Actually, Ultimate Cookies is a cookie decorating book, whereas Cookie Swap covers a broad range of cookies. Okay. Um, but my first cookie experience really revolved around cookie decorating. We had a pretty elaborate tradition growing up Of uh, about a week before Christmas. Getting out all the sugar cookie doughs, rolling it, cutting it, and decorating it. I have three. I have two siblings, so the three of us would could always be found in the kitchen at the same time, sort of competitively cookie decorating. Actually,
1: Um, but it was fun at the same time.
2: So uh, my mom would lead the show. She'd make all the doughs when we were very very young, and get them rolled and cut, and then. Mix up the icings together and just go to town. So, no, wait. What were
0: the cutters you were using back then?
2: Oh, the, the standard ones. The yeah, stars. Okay. C- certainly, at holiday time, Christmas trees and Santa Claus, right. and Stars and bells and things of that sort. And right. the decorating, it wasn't at all elaborate at that time. It was just sort of, let's hope we get the icing on the cookie. Right. <laughs> um, but over time, I-, I think that's what stimulated my passion for it, and over time, I've just cultivated it. You'll see that the my latest book is is pretty um, evolved in terms of cookie decorating. I talk about 15 different cookie decorating techniques that range from the very very basic, what do you first put on the cookie, to techniques that layer upon that and really lead to striking effects, pretty easily. So
0: okay, I love all that. But wait, let's let's go back here. So first off, scratch versus a mix. So you were brought up with making it from scratch. Oh, uh,
2: absolutely. Um, I'm a subscriber, even though this latest book is about decorating. Right. I'm a subscriber to the belief that anything you bake, um, anything you decorate, let's just say, ought to taste as good as it looks. So I had a bakery for about seven years here in St. Louis, and that was one of the things I really prided myself on was making sure that I was delivering a a product that looked spectacular that people couldn't really find elsewhere that would generate this sort of wow effect, but at the same time, once you get into it, you'd have that same experience you want
0: to uh, have both you know sometimes those shows i watch i have to say i look at the cakes and they look beautiful at the end but i'm not really into wanting to eat them even watching it's like how can that taste good at this point
1: well i think
2: i think for a lot of the tv stuff it's very um it is, I, mean, I think you're exactly right i mean for them to look as they do and to transport them the way they do they have they're really more architectural feats as opposed to edible seeds and right. so you can do both but you really have to be careful about it and um yeah, I've done a lot of wedding cakes as Okay, well. I want to hear so, about those. So, I can't even yeah. imagine.
0: That pressure, it's like I made wedding rings for people. I don't like that pressure.
2: It is pressure, which is partly why I'm not doing it. Okay. <laughs> right now, but um, but it was it was an intense pressure, and often on the weekends, it, it's a kind of situation where there's really no backup if you're delivering exactly. a wedding cake. Nobody wants to make a second wedding cake because there's a huge amount of time that goes into one. There is.
0: Okay. Explain like the process of that. Is it like the shows? I mean, is it you know days? To
2: back? some extent, but it would never be that frenetic. Nor would I ever put the cake at such risk, uh, certainly during transport. So. So it does, My mine always started with a one-on-one consultation with a customer, which you also see reflected in these shows, mm-hmm. where we've got a sense of need, style, flavor, all that sort of thing, and then i design it out. My cakes were all custom made, um, made to order. Um, and then certain elements of the decorating you can do in advance, um, depending on what the medium is you're working with, so I'd work those things further out. But then the cake itself, I mean, if, again, if you subscribe to the same, policy of things tasting as good as they look really has to be made as close to the event as possible. So right,
1: right. It's, a,
2: it's a bit of a juggling process to make sure you've got the staff and time able to do that and still drive enough volume through your operation to make it profitable. So that's the challenge. Um, right. But when it came down to delivery, uh, you'd never see me sort of racing into a venue at the last minute or having anything on the verge of falling over. I think that's all done for a sort of dramatic effect. Okay. You know, I'd never be, like, rollerblading into an event with a (laughs) cake, you know. So my cakes usually, when I'm here in Missouri, and if it's at all close to summer, even starting in April or May, it can be extremely hot. So I would transport all cakes in insulated containers, generally in as few layers stacked as possible to minimize any sort of possibility of things toppling. Because even if they're structurally supported from the inside, which all wedding cakes are, there's some risk of sliding and so on as they get larger. And I do a lot of assembly on site. So I, I show up very, very fun. You know, I show up a few hours in advance of the event to allow enough time to set up, typically, depending on what it is. Also, too, everything I needed, I transported needed to be refrigerated because I use perishable things to make the taste, cakes taste good. Right. So I use mousse fillings and Italian buttercream, which has eggs and real butter in it. So right. none of that stuff can really sit out for an indefinite period of time without getting sloppy or just running into a health risk. So I was very, very careful about that. I don't think you see that stuff reflected in the show, partly because it's TV, and also partly because I'm not sure the cakes really have the same level of ingredients in them. If you cut into them, you see they're mostly cakes. There's really nothing perishable in them, Um, whereas mine were layers upon layers of filling and different textures. I love the interplay of texture, not only cakes, but in sort of all all desserts. Uh, It's important to me to have I just like you know, having something creamy, you got something crunchy, mm-hmm. <laughs> just for, you know, just for interest's sake.
0: Yeah, 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 so, yeah, yeah. Well, did you have any stories that were like almost disaster stories?
2: Not really. In oh, all honesty, not really. I, I, the, the scariest parts for me were when the power would go out. We have some really <laughs> uh, freakish storms here sometimes in the summer, and they were notorious for taking the power out of my shop and I didn't have a backup generator so there was always
1: sort of uh-huh, fear right, that the right, power right. wouldn't come
2: on soon enough and I'd have cakes under refrigeration in which case you know I'd run out and get dry ice and just stock the fridges and keep them closed and I never had an incident with any fridger- fridge dropping below you know the temperature it was supposed
0: to right, right, right. but was
2: always very nervous about that I think the other big uncertainty was the employee factor like would people show up for the day, day of delivery or would I be on my own Interesting. It, okay. it, 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 that, that's part of the I'm out of sort of the day-to-day food service business, it's just there is a very transient mentality, I think, amongst food service employees for whatever reason. You know, you, you're you in a restaurant or a shop for a year, and then it's time to move on. And for me, with the level of work we were doing, which was very artistic and very time intensive, it took a long time to train people up. To, so to have that kind of turnover, which was typical for the industry, was really a stressor on the business. Yeah.
0: live theater, you know, the show has to go on no matter what.
2: Oh, absolutely. There's no excuse. So I I find it interesting. I I, I work with a lot of creative people from various sort of creative walks of life. And oftentimes, you know, these artists and creators will say, well, you know, I really need to be in the mood to create. You know, I'm not, I'm sorry, I'm 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 not on schedule because I just wasn't in the mood. It just, you know, it just didn't strike me. not really, after having run that business, because we were very much creators, you know, it was very much an art, but th- it was a business, and we had to deliver on time for that once in a lifetime event, and there was no being late ever, so, right. you know, at the same time, as I, you know, I feel I'm I'm pretty creative, but at the same time, I'm also really disciplined, um, I think, just by nature, but also because I lived through that whole experience, so.
0: Well, between you and me, and everyone who's listening, I think that is a true artist. You have to be both, you yeah, know, I think so. because to say I'm not in the mood means what? No, you got to do your creativity. It's not about being in the mood.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess creative process. That's an interesting conversation in itself. It you know, is. What is the creative process, and how does that work for people? Because mine, you know, even for this book writing, and with the latest book, where there are forty really original cookie projects in it none of which I had conceived of before I started the writing of the book, yet the book schedule was really compressed. You know, I had to really pump out the creativity. It wasn't the kind of thing that I could wait around for a chance to strike. I would sit down, when it came time to generating the ideas, and and push them out on paper. I would just, you know, begin brainstorming and writing everything down, sketching, sketching, sketching. And at the end of the day, if I didn't have the ideas that were going into a chapter, you know, oftentimes that, that whole chapter would take, Conceptual form in the course of a day, I'd be behind schedule. So, um, because there was so much production and testing of these things that went into the book as well, so I needed to really get the ideas out fast and and really conceive of them well so that they would work. So, um, so my process is, uh, you know, I hate to use the word forced because it doesn't sound so pleasant. It, sometimes it wasn't, but. Um,
0: I think you've hit on a great subject. I mean, I was just talking this to last week's guest, Todd Henry, who wrote The Brilliant Creative, you know, How to Be Creative on the Spot. And yeah. did you feel, when you were doing that, uh, did you get into a flow, so it was sort of like going to the gym? You were used to being creative. Did you get into that spot?
2: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Right. Um, even though I would have these very disciplined moments of saying, okay, I'm going to push this stuff out onto paper today, I'm going to get all these ideas down, this was the, I, you know, the whole book and I, all the idea process was constantly in the back of my mind. My husband would get it to right. that. I it was pretty hard to pull off this project. <laughs> so if I was, usually some really great spontaneous ideas would come to me as I was driving, as I had right. to, that's sort of my time away from my workspace. I'm off doing something else, and I'm a, a little bit freer to think. So sometimes very good ideas came to me then. I also find things happen to me on the verge of, Um, waking up. I don't know, you know, I don't know why that is. Sometimes you wake out of these dreams thinking, wow, I just, you know, the most brilliant idea came to me and then when you you're alert enough and you really process it, you realize it was
0: wasn't what you thought.
2: (laughs) It wasn't all what you thought. But sometimes (laughs) sometimes it gets you going. Sometimes there's a really good idea that does come out of that. Um
0: I'm laughing. When you drive and you get your ideas, do you tend to forget where you're going? That happens to me. Yeah,
2: sometimes I will um, kind of drive in circles for a while. I have a friend. I have to
0: tell you. I have a friend. Whenever I'm going to her house, it's 45 minutes away. She'll call me at least three times to make sure that I haven't zoned out. (laughs) Because I always do. It's a joke at this point. I never make it there the right way first. I leave.
2: <laughs> now, I've gotten lost a few times in the last year as I was thinking about stuff driving. Not, not altogether too safe.
0: <laughs> right. I feel no. my driving is very good. I just pay no mind to where I'm going. It's just straight. <laughs> well, I love that. That's the that creative process. Well, now, when you're coming up with, and I love, I have to say... I don't want to spend the time baking, but I, want it, I do want it to taste good. But I do love the decorating part. So to come up with all those ideas, that is pushing the envelope there. Now, who, who was your inspiration as far as someone maybe you followed that you loved their work? Maybe it wasn't even in baking, but you're inspired by, I don't know, a painter or something.
2: Um, I would say it was in baking. When I With this book, I wanted to do for cookies what kind of had been done or is being done
0: cupcakes i love the cupcakes yes
2: yeah it's this crazy trend that's been going on forever actually I know. you know people will say oh it's this new trend well it's not at all true when i had this wedding cake shop which i closed seven years ago i first saw the start of the whole cupcake trend and i pin it to when martha stewart in one of her magazines showed sort of the wedding cake cupcake yes stand for the first time and then i never yes. saw the end of it so for yes. me it's been around for at least nine years so i went i was really kind of hoping to shift um that trend into cookies because I think in some ways... Oh, that'll happen. It'll they're happen. They're a heck of a lot more practical. You know, if you think about investing a ton of time, I mean, not a ton of time, but decorating does take some amount of time. It certainly is yes. a labor of love and I'm it not going to try to yes kind of gloss over that. And same with cupcake decorating. Yes. These lavish cupcakes take time to do, you know, one, because they're individualized, but also on each one there's a certain amount of artistry. So, yes. So I was hoping to kind of move that trend because cupcakes... Cookies, one, you know, certainly a rolled sugar and cut sugar cookie that's iced with royal icing isn't perishable. It's got a longer shelf life. It's easy to transport. It's easier to kind of give and share, yet it still tastes good and can be incredibly striking. Like, I, I just love this thought of cookies and cupcakes as sort of individual handcrafted presents. I, think, I agree. I think the thought that somebody put that kind of time into something for someone else really says a lot. So, and so there's this practical element of cookies, too, that I think gives them a, an appeal that cupcakes don't always share. So um, I'd love, to answer your question, what um, Karen Tack and Ellen Richardson did with their Hello Cupcake.
0: Um, oh, book. yes, 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 yes.
2: So I was really looking at those because I think they uh, I, I think they really um, w- w- they really did something decisive, just very, very different and extremely creative sort of cutting edge with their decorating of those those, of their of their cupcakes, so I I wanted to try to kind of push the envelope the same way as they did, right? Um, but with a different medium, and so that was that was really the inspiration for that book. Um,
0: well, there's so, certainly the room for it. I mean, I remember being blown away by going into Sprinkles years and years ago in uh, California, yeah, at, uh-huh. a, a cupcake chain, and right, being right, you know. It's it it just lends both cookies and cupcakes lend themselves to that um, wonderful color marketing fun. I mean, yep. it's, I'm sure that they'll be, um, and maybe it'll be you the next cookie yep. sh- show. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, one thing I did try to do with these is kind of move them out of their two dimensional,
0: uh huh, uh
2: huh, plane. So you'll see a lot of three D cookies Ooh. in this book. So where I put basic two D shapes together and clever but easy ways that really make them you know, stand out kind of literally. So I've got a three-dimensional lizard in there. There's a whole chapter dedicated to kids' stuff Fine. and animals and so I have a 3D lizard and snakes and butterflies in there. I also have a chapter on what which I call incredible edibles, which is cookies that look like other edible things, Love so cakes and lollipops, all three-dimensional um, elements in there. There's some simple 2D stuff, too, to make the book approachable to people, and I break every technique down in, in considerable detail so people really know how to do this stuff. Right, so, right. Um, no,
0: it's a definite craft.
2: That's the other thing. I just, as on the, the issue of technique, is that, um, and this is maybe where I depart from some of the other books I've seen on cupcake decorating or cookie decorating, rather than leaping directly to the project. Yeah. Um, which are really eye candy, and, and you know, in all of these books, they're eye candy and they're really fun. But I think they can sometimes be daunting in any of these books if people are really try to dig into them without having the basis of techniques. So I spend a good portion of this book, which is uh, 300 pages, I spend about 60 pages up front talking about the tools, that you ought to have on hand sort of as a baseline, what are some nice, then I move from there into nice-to-have tools for different techniques. I detail these 15 techniques um, one by one, talking um, a lot about the consistency of icing you need to have to Mm, mm achieve the mm -hmm. kind of results you want with each. Right. So I I feel like there's a really, I I feel like it's got a a basis of technique in there that if somebody reads through it, and practices it a bit would allow them really to pretty much tackle anything in the book, but uh, more importantly, to really go beyond the book, you know, to let their creative juices flow and, and to extrapolate. Um,
0: well, so, I think what you said key, though, is you do have to practice.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, I, you know, I...
0: You can still eat the bad ones, though.
2: <laughs> exactly. And there are some techniques that are incredibly forgiving, where you will get a really masterful looking cookie, even if you mess up. So and what, the one I'm thinking of is marbling, where all the colors go down at once, and you draw a toothpick or a trussing needle. I would like to use a metal trussing
0: needle. That's oh, yeah, 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 through
2: yeah. Through it to create these spirally, scrolly patterns, which look really festive and elaborate, but...
0: And then on a nice, you silver plate.
2: You almost can't go wrong with right. those. Right, uh, right, so, um, And you can be very precise about them, but you can also be very random about them and have them look just incredible. So I did a cookie decorating class actually surrounding the last book here in Missouri. It was a kid's class, and I was a, at first a little bit fearful of it because there's a certain amount of, I don't know, my cookies tend to look more adult. Um, <laughs> but, okay. Um, I, you know, I was a little nervous about it, but, you know, one of the techniques we used a lot with marbling and stenciling, and the kids just were all over it and did a fabulous job. So, you know, after that experience, I'm I'm pretty convinced that a lot of this is really translatable and universal and just takes, again, as you said, a little bit of hands-on practice. Yeah, it is
0: practice. Plus, they have, I mean, there's so many uh, websites now. The supplies are insane what you can get for decorating.
2: Right. Actually, um, I'm I'm going to plug my sponsor here, if that's okay. Yeah, go ahead. They relate directly to that point, but um, my sponsor for this tour is FancyFlowers.com. Fancy Flowers? Yeah, I love their stuff, and I relied um, heavily on a lot of their pre-made sort of royal icing and sugar doodads, little elements you can put on cakes and cookies to decorate some of my projects, just because they're so skillfully done and really lovely, so...
0: Yeah, I I actually bought some sugared pansies once for a cake I did, yes. and they came, they were so gorgeous. Gorgeous. <gasps> yeah, gorgeous. They made the cake.
2: Gorgeous, yep. So I, you know, I um, I like to refer out to vendors that I use for ready-made things. It's a crystallized flower company
1: dot mm-hmm. com mm-hmm. is
2: another that does those beautiful sugared flowers. Um, because they're time savers, you know. And, yeah, and again, yeah, yeah. you know, this stuff does take time. They are little works of art. Where you can't cut corners with really great things on the decorative side, I'll do it. So right.
0: Uh, well, you can get someone who's just specializing in those perfect little things.
1: Right. Right.
0: But I've seen so many of the. Um, it's very seductive. The sanding colored sugars and the mm-hmm. different glitters and patterns. I mean, it's amazing what's out there now.
2: It is amazing. I was. I was um, somewhat amazed myself as I was trying to decipher. Um, and I work with these tools. All these dusts and things—they're all these dust, dust right? Dust the, the gold dust, dust, right? And yes. There, that's a whole—that whole category of decorative dust is. I, you know, I'm tr- I was trying to wrap my head around it because I use them all the time. But there's slight nuances between names, and names are used interchangeably for very different things. And so, as I got to writing that portion of the book, I really, you know, I bought up a whole bunch of different dust from different companies. But they come
0: in more than just, like, gold dust? It's all kinds of colors? Uh,
2: all, every single color. And there's a distinction between petal dust and luster dust and oh highlighter Lord. dust and disco dust. <laughs> disco and, they dust and they all right. have a different range of iridescence <laughs> or granularity, even. Um, some um, some are some are FDA-approved, some are not because of the, the elements in them. Right, so, right. Um, so, you know, I was just trying to sift through all that to kind of make sense of it for the reader because if you are approaching it for the first time, it's really it can be really confusing, yes, oh yeah, um but um but you know what's the downside of you getting the wrong dust so it doesn't do exactly what you want right, it's still right. be it's still right be <laughs> right
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes it is that overwhelming, um, I know for working my own art when you go into an, a major supply store, it's that overwhelming you know feeling of oh. Look at all this stuff to play with.
2: Yeah, where do I begin? Where do
0: I begin? Yeah, that's exactly it. Well, now, are you someone that, do you always have some cookies baked fresh in your house? Like if I came over this afternoon, is there something all.
2: No, I'll be, I'll fess up, not always. (laughs) Um, And certainly when I was in stages of the book that were really focused on the writing aspect, when I was in the stages of the book or when I was focused on recipe testing, cookies were everywhere. The house was filled but then I'd get into periods where I just needed to concentrate on tuning the writing, in which case I'm very, very focused on that. Right, not, right, There's not a lot of baking going on.
0: Do you do baking to relax? A lot of people I know always say, oh, I cook to relax.
2: I, I used to. I think before I became a, prof- a professional. Right. I will, I'll back up because I, um, I worked for ooh, uh, 10, 15 years post-college at least in very different fields. I started out as an engineer mm-hmm. designing nuclear reactors. Oh, And dear. I went into business consulting. So I have a very kind of science, and I have a science background. Well, that's sort of perfect for background. baking,
0: though. I mean, so, it's a big stretch, but the engineering yeah, is not a big surprise.
2: Yeah, it's not. It, it, there's a certain amount of precision that's common right. to everything. But at that time, yes, you know, baking, I, I'd escape from sort of the real cerebral parts of those jobs. Right. And into baking because there's something really gratifying about working with your own hands and seeing something, for me anyway, just seeing a physical product at the end of the day. But when I turned to doing it professionally, which was around 1996 when I opened up the bakery, it became different because it became work. So when I'm doing it all day, I will say all day. You know, all day can be, you know, 12, 15 hours depending on what the volume of the work was. Even so, with the book projects, because they tend to get all-consuming. Um, at the end of the day, then I don't like to cook too much, right. you know, so I will I will leave because I just need a break. And I and I do enjoy these others. I do very much enjoy just the writing, and again, the more cerebral sort of inside your head stuff right. too. So I I like to have my work be rather varied. So. Um, so no, there so are chunks of time I go full-tilt baking, right. usually to the extreme, and then there are chunks of time where I won't do it at all. Um,
0: so, do you break down me, and go get a store-bought cookie at that point? Yeah,
2: yeah I, I do. And, yeah. Well, and I think that's I think that's a good thing as part of sort of seeing what's out there, um, what the competition is or what others are doing, or as a way of sort of generating ideas. Right, so, right, right. So, I, you know, I often kind of scout out what others are doing. Um But, yeah, again, maybe that comes back to the creative process. I think people probably work different ways. Some people might need a steady flow of that sort of hands-on activity day-to-day. I definitely like to get do things in big, focused chunks and then move on to the next type of activity. I think I'm more effective that way.
0: Yeah, no, I understand. When you had your bakery, was there um, the thing that you liked to do most? Was there something in there that you were... It was just part of your everyday being that you made, not the wedding cakes. Something else, or is it the wedding cakes?
2: Well, by the end of that business, that was largely all we did with sort of scattered sugar cookies and okay. decorative stuff in there. It wasn't. It, it was a destination sort of shop, so I didn't have um, day-to-day retail customer flow. So okay. people wouldn't couldn't come in and just like grab a muffin or something. Got it. it. was okay. All very fancy. Decorated desserts. I started out selling wholesale plated desserts, very fancy ones, to restaurants, and then quickly moved out of that entirely into retail business, smaller scale special occasion cakes um, to wedding cakes. Was sort of the end of the business. And so within that realm, yeah, again, I just always gravitated towards the decorative part of it. I don't know why. I I I could just spend hours just putting the finishing touches on my cake, and that's ultimately how the workflow was parsed out there it's much easier to train people to to bake and make all the components on the inside so usually my employees would be doing a lot of the component work and the assembly and the base icing of cakes right. and i'd scoop right. in and, and do all the decorative stuff partly because i wanted to make sure partly because i was also the one that primarily sat in on all the designs right with oh, the that makes sense so i wanted to make sure that it, the vision was translated
0: and were you someone that always worked in the buttercream, or did you do the um, fondant? Isn't that what it's called? The
2: yeah, I did. I did both. I you mean, did. I, I will say, um, I will say, am not a huge fan of rolled fondant, just because it's so sweet and right. it's texturally very chewy. Um, so all of my cakes were always iced with a lovely Italian buttercream. If I la- then mm. it, they were super chilled. If I was laying fondant on top, so that it would go down without deforming the underlying part of the cake. So if people didn't it, it, but the, the advantage of fondant, as you know, is it just creates a certain uh, effect, and you're able to do things three-dimensionally right. with it. Yes. you can't really do with do with buttercream. And at the time that I uh, a few years ago, it was coming on really strong in this area. Um, it, traditionally, it's been used on wedding cakes in the U.K. for centuries, but you know, it's relatively new here in the U.S.
0: Now, you just said Italian buttercream. What makes it Italian?
2: It's the nature of how it goes together. Um, I'm not You know, um, it, it starts by making, you start, American buttercream, it classically is confectioner sugar blended with butter or right. some combination of Crisco. So it tends to be pretty um, thick and dense. Right. And often very, very sweet. Um, it, whereas Italian buttercream, Swiss buttercream is a variation on the same thing. Theme, starts with a meringue base, okay, into which you um, whip in butter, so it's lighter. Okay. Um, it's not lighter in terms of fat content, right? But lighter but it's is lighter in terms of you know feeling on the palate, you know, right. on the tongue. Um, it's fluffier, and it, ten, it um in a comparison of American to Italian buttercream, it has a less sweet profile to it. I love sweets, but I don't like sugar for the sake of sugar. Right,
0: right. I hear um, you.
2: I, I really feel like the flavor of whatever whatever the product is needs to be amplified by that sugar
0: and you still want to if, taste a flavor not just want, sugar.
2: I want to taste the flavor yeah, I don't me too. if I get something that's just pure sugar to me that's a failure as a yeah yeah so, I,
0: I agree I love so. when each thing has its own little special mouth party I call it
2: yeah <laughs> it's <laughs> always
0: very exciting is there a trend that you see now in cookies
2: I think there's a trend towards um, in cookies cookie swaps for sure Just explain to
0: everyone what that is.
2: Okay. Um, It's typically an exchange of cookies that occurs around the Christmas holiday season, though I'm seeing it extending beyond that, and I'll touch on that. But it's basically, I would say, a cookie form of a potluck, where everyone invited brings some of their favorite cookies to the table, literally. They all get displayed, and then at the end of the party, people go around picking and choosing from among the cookies, and they bring um, a, a very wide assortment home when they came with just, you know, what they brought. right. So the advantage, I think, I think the advantage of these parties from a practical standpoint is you, around the holiday time, you can walk away with a lot of different cookies to feed your family right. without having that investment of time that comes with having to swap out, you know, buy ingredients for a hundred billion different recipes right. And having right. to swap between the recipes. That all takes time. Um So there's that advantage Um, for the hostess. You're having a party where you don't have to do all the work, which is great for the holiday season. (laughs) Right. But I think from an emotional standpoint, which is what really resonates with me, these parties are really all about sharing food, not only about sharing food, but about sharing the memories around the
1: food. Mm. So when Mm -hmm. I have
2: a cookie swap, I make a point of having people, before we dive in and divvy up the cookies, of sharing why it is they brought that recipe, why it's important to them, and also swapping the actual recipe. Right. Right. Again, there's a practical reason for that. I think that we're in an age of so many allergies and heightened sensitivity to different foods that people need to know what it is they're eating right. very explicitly.
1: Right. But
2: also, again, you know, if that recipe is one you love, um, why not perpetuate the legacy and memory of that recipe by just bringing it home and making it in your own home? So I really encourage the swapping of the actual recipes. Right. Um, sometimes I'll collect them in advance from those coming, and I'll compile them into pretty little booklets so that they're ready to go. When people are there, sometimes it'll be more informal. Just people will just bring enough for those coming, and they'll sort of informally swap them around. So cookie swaps can take different forms in terms of their particulars, but that's the basic concept. And so I see a trending towards more of this communal kind of eating in general, and cookie swaps are sort of a subset of that. It's Um, a great
0: idea to bring back. I've forgotten about it. It's a way to sort of everything you said. It's important, especially in our world of internet at this point, to have hands-on you know, old-fashioned recipes written down and all of that.
2: Yeah, and I also think, I, I think to some extent it's tied into this greater appreciation we're seeing across the whole food food world from to, for the origin of food, where it comes from, local sources, and right. all of that. I see it tied into that because it's about, you know, understanding the source of the recipe. Um, it's about sharing that story about where it came from at some level. Right. So I see them taking off, I, I've been tracking on Twitter, um, you know, I, it's funny because I do definitely, I'm very traditional in certain ways in terms of making everything from scratch and and having parties that sort of, you know, bring together people and they're kind of touchy-feely. But at the same time, I really love, you know, all the sort of social interaction that occurs online these Absolutely. days. Absolutely. That's I've a great tracking, mix. I've been tracking that cookie flop hashtag on Twitter now for a few years. And so I can see a definite trending in the talk talk that surrounds it and the talk that surrounds cookie swaps off um, off season. so traditionally it used to happen you know maybe October you'd see a big spike in activity as people start planning for their cookie swaps that are occur in December right but I see people talking year round about them now um, so That's great. That's um, great. to a pretty significant degree so and that was the whole premise of that my first book was that you know why wait for holidays? To have this kind of really neat kind of story yeah. that brings people together, so I yeah. have a bunch of seasonal um, spins on. I think it's
0: tomorrow. a great idea because sometimes you know the holidays is too much of everything. Why not have a yeah, summer exactly. cookie swap? <laughs>
2: exactly.
0: Yeah. I love it. Well, I'll be excited to see your new book, Ultimate Cookies. It sounds great. It's my favorite part as well as the decorating, of course, and also your first book, Cookie Swap, um, Julia Usher. Now I'm hungry. I want to go eat some cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all that information with us.
2: Oh, thanks for having me. It was very, very fun. I'm oh excited. good. Good,
0: good, good. Invite me to your next cookie swap. <laughs> I will. Thank you. Bye bye. Thank
2: you.
0: I know I'm ready for uh, a pastry item after that. <laughs> I just can't help it. What can I tell you? Even a hostess cupcake does does the trick for me when I'm in this kind of mood. So uh I hope that well. No, I do hope it all made you all go out and think, mmm, cake or cupcake. I need one right now because it should be in everyone's life is what I say. So uh, I want to thank Miss Julia Usher for coming on. And guys, if you don't have the CraftCast app right now, which is available for uh, droids and iPhone, go get it. Because guess what? The bonus question that only appears on the app is uh, Julia telling everyone the best Tools. Her can't live without tools that she keeps in the kitchen. I think you'll be very surprised what you hear. It's great. So go get that. You can uh, click through to get it. If you come to the CraftCast.com site or just go where you get your apps and you'll find it. Okie dokie. So my ET, my entertaining thought of the day. Uh, this is, I was thinking about this, this is a production tip I wanted to share with all of you. Uh, many of the people I talk to and work with, I get a lot of questions about this. Uh And it's, you know, I need a website, or I need a um, PR kit, or I need some copywritten, or I need a catalog. And it's the, what happens the second step after declaring the need for one of these uh, uh, tools or, or things to finish for your business, is that overwhelm sets in, and then the next step seems impossible. Seems impossible, because, oh my gosh, you know, maybe you get to Maybe you get to step one and you say, okay, I'm going to contact someone to design a website. And then you find out, oh, I have to have what for you? JPEGs that need what? Or I need um, my photos done? Or I need X amount of money? Or I'm busy next week. I can't even talk to you. You run into what I'm trying to say. You run into blocks is the thing. So quickly, that great idea that you want to accomplish gets sidetracked or you run into uh, a detour and... You know, it's just, you say, "Mm, forget it. It's too much. So here's a trick I want to tell you about. A quick little story. I worked at Radio City uh, for a number of Christmas seasons, and I dressed the Rockettes. Now, if you've ever seen the Christmas show at Radio City, I'm going to exaggerate here, but not by much. (laughs) There are, are, I think, 80 girls on stage. I had to dress 10 of them uh, with... So many outfit changes, I think like 10 for each show, which includes different hose, different shoes, different belts, different earrings, different, you name it, everything. You cannot believe. Now, when I first saw that show, I thought, this is impossible. How would you just start that show and think, I've got to get all these clothes on all these girls? And they're in so many places on the stage, and they come up from below in the elevators and enter on buses and different, you know, whatever. Here's the trick. It works for everything. You start from the end. So you start, in that case, the show from everyone standing on stage in their last position and you back it up. How did they come on that stage with those outfits on? You go to that place and that's where the other outfits came off and you put those outfits on. Then you back it up again and you keep going backwards and backwards and backwards. And you'll find the places where "Mm, this is a little too difficult. We have to adjust. But you're adjusting so that you win as opposed to running from the front and freaking out because you can't get it to happen so you do everything from the back end and lo and behold you figured it out and you write it down and you adjust and all of a sudden you're at the front of the show and you see how it's possible because you've done it from the back so that works that plan works for anything you want to make a website you want to get your um, photos done for a juried show you want to create a line of earrings start from the back. You lay it out. You find out where you can see you might be having problems and you have to adjust things because you're not really available that month when you do it from the end. So in the case of a website, you'll say, January 1, I want to have this website up. Well, how do I back it up from there? Well, clearly I need to know what's in the website. I need before that the pictures and then I need the copy. And then you keep going backwards and you'll see It'll lay out a production line for you, what we call a track when we're at Radio City. Uh, but then you have a skeleton of something that works, that you can adjust with. Instead of running, think about it, running into Radio City and just saying, okay, let's go start the show and we'll hold our breath and pray. <laughs> it wouldn't work. I'm just telling you right now, it wouldn't work. So most of those things don't work that way. So big tip, when you're feeling overwhelmed and you wonder how something is going to get completed, figure it out from that it already is and back it up. And it'll be doable steps. It won't be so overwhelming. That's the other secret thing that happens. So that's my little production tip to share with all of you today. I hope you enjoy that. Put it to good use. I know I do. And um, make sure you come on over to craftcast.com and check out, oh, all the goodies. Uh, You can listen to the podcast the show you can be listening right now through itunes or you can be listening through uh your app or you could be listening on the um actual craftcast.com site where you get all the show links of things we talked about today and our music that we heard etc etc plus I love hearing from all you guys you know that so if you want to send me an email you can uh, put it to allison at craftcast.com there also is a number you can call me at 877-819-1859 and you'll find all that information under contact on the craftcast.com site so there you go. I'm excited. I hope you're enjoying the new sound from new equipment coming from the CraftCast studio. And you know what I have to say till next time. Get your butt in the chair and keep crafting.
1: Just get yourself right into your chair. Come on, listen. You can learn to create something new. It starts inside you.